This Knowledge at Wharton podcast was produced in conjunction with EY's Global Private Equity Center. For more information, please visit ey.com slash private equity. Private equity investors are flocking to Brazil, partly driven by hopes of infrastructure investment opportunities in the run-up to the World Cup Games this year and the Olympics in 2016. So while there are plenty of reasons to be bullish, it's also worth noting that all of that interest in Brazil could increase the prices investors must pay for properties, and there are already signs that some investor interest is spilling over to other Latin countries like Mexico and Colombia as a result. That is the view of Michael Rogers. EY's Global Deputy Sector Leader for Private Equity, and Stephen Samet, a senior fellow and lecturer at Wharton. Brazil's certainly generating a buzz if you go by the EY-EIU survey, which found that nearly 80% of those surveyed plan to increase acquisitions in Brazil over the next year. That's a pretty staggering number. So uh, maybe you could just talk about why Brazil looks especially attractive now. Yeah, I think uh, I was just down a couple weeks ago, and, and I think the, there, there's uh, an overall excitement and buzz relative to the you know, run-up to the World Cup and Olympic Games, and I think obviously that's spurring you know, some near-term investment in, in um, infrastructure and, and uh, you know, some excitement about getting potentially uh, roads, roads fixed, um, you know, doing some things around the airports, and, and just trying to um, you know, kind of bring Brazil out onto the world stage as they'd like to be presented. And so there's a lot of excitement. Uh, you know, the folks seem very, very excited. And I think there's some long-term trends there. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, Steve, you could highlight these as well. But, you know, just the, the move towards more of a consumer-driven economy, uh, the move of a massive amount of people into the middle class in Brazil, and the, um, you know, the desire to be better trade partners on a global basis. They're doing a lot of work with, with China, we touched on uh, earlier. And so they're starting to trade more, more globally and, and have a much more, uh, you know, more important footprint on a global stage. But, you know, the uh, a desirable demographic in terms of the age group of their working class and, and many of these consumer-driven industries, like consumer products, like financial services, uh, are still, you know, at the nascent in many places and have a tremendous uh, ways to run. And I think the private equity folks we talk to just like the long-term demographic trends there uh, and how that, you know, really could lead to uh, tremendous, uh, you know, upside potential in terms of growing uh, businesses in that market. I think there's still, you know, some, some you know, sovereign issues there and, and you know, local uh, issues around security and other things that, that folks We'll, we'll always, you know, focus on and try and continue to improve. But in general, a lot of the fundamentals for Brazil look, look very, very nice, and I think it's what's uh, attracting a lot of new capital down there. Thanks, Mike. You laid out a lot of uh, uh, long-term fundamental reasons for Brazil's attractiveness. Uh, Steve, maybe you can give us your views on Brazil and also uh, just why it is that we've got – why you might think that 80 percent of, of the folks surveyed – are so interested in it looking ahead um, and maybe into 2014 in particular over the next year. Uh, and I'm wondering um, how big a factor pricing is uh, when it comes to, I think there's a, a bit of a more favorable exchange rate lately, which is a short-term factor versus the longer-term ones that, mm-hmm. that Mike was talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think the, 
characterization of the macro issues is is spot on, and there isn't much I can add to that. So what I'll what I'll do is maybe look a little bit more at the micro uh, of what's going on. Uh, the, there certainly have been uh, uh, favorable moves in terms of taxation and fees, uh, uh, to be sure. The other thing that's going on is that the owners and operators of businesses in Brazil have become more comfortable over the last few years in actually working and transacting with with private equity funds. And uh, there's more of a willingness to uh, accept um, outside money uh, and uh, uh, use that as a source of, of building uh, companies. Now, there's a major transition issue going on in Brazil as well, and uh, with respect to the mindset of the operators, and that is historically the major adjustment that most uh, private equity funds have had to make, especially those who are from the U.S. and who've planted flags in Brazil, is that uh, much like China and India, there's a very profound family business culture uh, in in Brazil, and there's usually an unwillingness to part with control, uh, and uh, it is not really part of the mindset to take on private equity for the purpose of liquidating um, my personal position or my family's position in the company in the future. Uh, I think the thought process tends to be very long term. Uh, so what has really happened over the last decade is that most of the private equity funds have had to move away from the buyout uh, control position to being providers of growth capital or growth equity. And even that has caused a great deal of tension because those are minority positions and uh, uh, they're there is very little control or influence over the companies that the uh, private equity firms can exert. Uh, there's, I'm hearing anecdotally that there's something of an accommodation being reached now where the amounts of money available have become so large uh, that the um, uh, owner-operators or the promoters of the deals basically acknowledge that they're going to have to surrender uh, to the private equity people some some level of control uh, or influence. Now, this is all playing out as we speak, uh, and the next couple of years are going to be very interesting to see. Uh, uh, what I think is going to happen is even two or three years ago, there was huge concern among the veterans in Brazilian private equity that there was already too much money chasing too few deals. Uh, and that has not abated. Uh, the fact that there's uh, even more interest in capital rushing in um, um, may affect uh, the pricing of, of opportunities in a um, you know, very good way from the point of view of the, of the owners, uh, not so good from the point of view of the funds. Uh, and whether or not the growth in Brazil uh, is rapid enough 
to absorb all that is another question. The only variable in here with respect to the amount of capital may be in the area of infrastructure. Uh, as Mike has pointed out, that's really one of the key plays in, 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 in this, especially in the South. Uh, and the reason is infrastructure deals absorb huge amounts of capital. Uh, and, uh, uh, and in many instances, uh, they create the opportunity for deals to be clubbed uh, as opposed to proprietary. So we're, we're going to see, um, you, know, you know, Brazil bears very close scrutiny over the next uh, uh, one to two years. Um, I, I, I'm not sure this level of excitement is, is warranted, but it's real. I mean, the survey is 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 totally accurate in what it what it finds, what it found. You know, Steve, I, I might just add there. I I agree with um, you know Stevens' assessment, and I one of the reasons I cited Mexico and and Colombia is rising up in terms of their level of uh, interest from you know folks that we talk to that have an interest in in uh, investing in in Latin America. You know the rise of the Pacific Alliance, and uh, it, it's almost um, becoming for, for that exact issue of is there too much money? You know, if everybody knows about an investment opportunity, is is there already mean that there's too much money? You know, kind of headed that way, and so I think people are looking at you know what are some alternate uh, investment paths that we might make besides Brazil that you know get us at some of those same you know, attractive demographics and consumers uh, without having to go in and compete possibly as heavily as we might have to in Brazil. So I think that's a very, very relevant point. It's interesting. If pricing gets too rich, then there's a bit of a spillover effect. Well, we have time for one more question. Um, And that is, with all the optimism and favorable conditions out there, it was a bit surprising when I looked at the survey to see that uh, 85% of companies are not spending enough time on detailed planning and exit preparation. One would think that uh, we're, we're, since there's a fair amount of cash floating around and the, and the deal situation looks like it's improving, um, that they would be hurriedly planning their exit out in, in, in detail. So, uh, Mike, what do you ascribe this to? Well, I think this is, this is um, a little bit of the outgrowth of the slowdown in, in the exit path and, and folks' ability to get to market. And, and I think that... Uh, you know, if you look at a five-year horizon, typically entities were, you know, they, they came in with some original investment thesis, they made the, you know, close the acquisition, they go through some level of, um, you know, I, I think Stephen, you know, used the word performance uh, uh, improvement or, or, you know, speeding up of accelerating a performance. We, we tend to use the term value creation within the firm, but they go through some window of value creation and then ultimately an exit process. And if you look at sort of a five-year investment, um, you know, you're heavily into that value creation phase when you're, you know, already beginning to think about exit. And as some of these uh, deals have tailed out into longer-term holds, uh, we, we're finding that, that people, you know, do tend to think about the exit, but it happened, it generally starts to happen in the last six or 12 months of ownership. And I think the, the quote that uh, was in here about the 85% um, not spending enough time on detailed planning, where we got that from was essentially, you know, one in seven were telling us that, that uh, they were not planning beyond 18 months 
uh, for an exit. And we know that in some of these very complex situations, you must be planning, you know, uh, in some cases, two years and beyond. We've, we've talked to some funds that are kind of best in class in this, and they tell us, really, we almost start exit planning on the day we buy. Uh, and others that think we really got to get focused on operating this business, it's tougher, there's, there's no... You know, sort of the arbitrage on financial engineering has has been sort of uh, disintermediated out of out of this business for the most part. I mean, the opportunity to just buy low and sell high has gotten tougher and tougher. Folks know that they have to spend a lot of time on that that value creation phase or the performance acceleration phase. And at the same time, though, they also have to put just as much engineering into the exit process. And so we see people, you know, pretty routinely, uh, you know, not sort of engaging potential bidders early enough, maybe failing to identify key risk issues that are in their own, uh, you know, in their own backyard, and, and, uh, and, and really not working as hard as they should on the forecast and, and the plans. Our, our sense is that if you, you either have to optimize and realize that value uh, for yourself during your ownership window and be able to demonstrate that appropriately to potential buyers, or you have to, at a minimum, identify all those upsides and make sure that potential buyers are aware of them so that they will at least you know, pay you for them or pay you partially or you, know, you get some value for that. Uh, because, you know, as, as you might imagine, particularly in the secondary market, if one fund sells on to another fund, they'd like to know, the buyer would like to know that there is an opportunity to continue to, to grow and develop the business. And, there, and that not all the synergies have been, you know, wriggled out of the business, uh, there's opportunity to improve that and, and continue to build the business. So we see, um, you know, some folks best in class really starting to look at this a couple years out, and, and we still see people, uh, you know, literally, you know, sort of caught by surprise as they get into the exit process, not understanding that, you know, a piece of their business that they have uh, has some real difficulties with it, and buyers, you know, go at it directly, and then they want a discount. Uh, and so we've been working real hard with a lot of our, our funds to help them understand that, get prepared way out in the front, uh, you know, maybe even helping, uh, if they're going to use a banker for a sale, helping with, you know, who might be, uh, you know, good to be on the uh, the short list of folks to invite to, to look at the company, and, and just make sure that they've always got an eye towards exit, and they're doing the kinds of things, professionalizing management, professionalizing systems and making all those improvements they can uh, that that blend right into a natural sale process that's that's neat uh, you know clean concise and ultimately uh, attracts the highest value uh, Steve does that uh, do those survey results uh, match up with your anecdotal experience uh, for the time period we've been living in um, uh, it's consistent with what I've seen and heard and observed, uh, but it still it nevertheless puzzles me uh, that uh, uh, there isn't more deliberate uh, uh, attention and planning uh, uh, placed on this. I think what we're living through, or what we've been living through, is is maybe a resignation that the things that are driving. Um, or th- the things that are keeping the window shut are really beyond the control of of the fund management, uh, and they have to do with the corporate attitude towards uh, acquisition. And when that is slow, there isn't much that you can do to change it. Uh, 
and when the IPO market is not cooperative or when it's completely shut down as it as it was in China uh, uh, the um, the uh, the reaction is well there's nothing we can do about this so let's just focus on on adding value uh, value creation in the company or performance acceleration and when the timing is right we'll be ready and our property will be more valuable so yes it it is it is very consistent uh but it's not something i would you know generally advise uh people to uh, uh make a habit out of um uh, uh i i think uh, as as mike said you know the best in class funds uh plan exit uh, um, once the investment is made some of them actually work it into their due diligence so uh, uh, you know that that is a reality of this asset class that uh, you ignore at your own peril well thanks thanks to both of you for an interesting uh, outlook for the new year I appreciate it very much and uh, look forward to getting you together again in a little bit to see how the year is going thanks Listeners can access past podcasts plus additional insights into private equity at our private equity website. And the address is kw.wharton.upenn.edu slash private hyphen equity. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.